Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's the truth and movies. All of it. Today, Baby Driver. Edgar Wright hits Top Gear with a film featuring a big score in more ways than one. Is it as brilliant as everyone says it is? Yes. Yes, it is. Also, Okja. It's a meet-cute with a difference. Bong Joon-ho's tale of a simple girl just trying to bring home the bacon. Plus, Film Club. Le Samurai. Alain Delon on the run from the flicks. Like a man who's seen a Michael Bay movie. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yeah, off we go with another edition of the Top Movie Review Show. Uh, this week in very much the company of Adam and Dave. David Jenkins, Adam Woodward. Hi. How are you, boys? Doing well, doing oh, well. Excellent. Excellent. You've been busy, Adam. You went off to see the Edinburgh Film Festival. Yes, just got back on Sunday. If only you'd written something, maybe summing up your experiences, pointing us towards some gems that you caught there. Funnily enough, last week, I think, on this very show, I said how great it is to go to these festivals and discover new films. And I, I did watch a few new films, but I think the stuff I really enjoyed the most was uh, they had a lot of good rep stuff. Oh. So I saw um, How to Get Head in Advertising, the Bruce Robinson film, follow up to Withnell and I, which mm. we did on Film Club a few weeks back. Would I hate it? Do you, you hate like, Thatcher? You, you quite liked... Um, Richard E. Grant's performance in with yeah. Nell and I. It, mm. I think his performance is like that, but dialed up even more. So, mm. uh, But that was very good. And I also saw Videodrome, David Cronenberg oh, yeah. film, which is amazing. And I've, I've written a, a little piece on that and about how, uh, even though it's sort of made and set in the VHS era, it's also maybe about the internet. It can be kind of read right. from that point of view. Amazing film, though. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Okay. I've just been sort of hanging around, going to see a few films, mainly... Um, Organising our next print edition of the magazine, which is very exciting. Right, uh, what's that going to be about? Time. Well, I can't really say right now. Okay, but I'll in, maybe maybe off off air, yeah. I can whisper something in your ear. And what and, date will it be hitting stands? Oh, so it'll be on the on the shelves, and uh, not until this first of September. Really? So still a little bit of time in the oven for that one. Okay, but uh, it's going to be an, one we're very excited about. Right. Okay. Uh, Stuart Matthews writes in saying he's had a fierce debate with his dad over the ending of The Graduate. Is there still debate about what the ending of The Graduate means? Apparently there is in Stuart Matthews' household because his father likes to believe that the film ends on a happy note, uh, just despite the uncertain looks that overtake the faces of, uh, of Dustin and Catherine. 
as the bus speeds off into the uncertain future. How many people are there in the not sure or believing it's happy ending camp? It's there's Stuart's dad. Anybody else out there? Hmm. It depends on how you interpret their romance and how authentic it is. Right. Did you know it was uh, accidental? What? That scene at the end? No. Yeah. They just left the camera rolling and that happened and they put it in the film. You're kidding. No, no. So they get, they sit down. They sit down. And that's a take. The bus goes off. Right. And then, you know, that's going to be the last scene of the film. But Mike Nichols must have said, no, keep it rolling. Let's just see where this goes. And yeah, it was improvised and ended up in the film. Okay. Well, Stuart also says you touched upon greatest movie endings in connection with this film. Another great example would be Carol Reed's The Third Man, perhaps a potential future film club entree there. And and certainly that's an interesting topic, isn't it? Iconic closing scenes of movies, one that we really should address sooner rather than later. Tom Pooley in Salford says, hi guys, long time listener, 10 episodes in, what's your favourite film that you covered so far, excluding those film club ones? Adam? Dave, have you had a thought about this? I'm just scanning the list here. I think one of this week's is potentially in the uh, running, but right. uh, otherwise, Mind Horn I really like. Really, still, yeah. yeah. And my life as a courgette. My life as a courgette would get my vote. Dave. I would say my life as a courgette or the leveling. I really like the leveling, mm. and, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing that one again. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com is the email address so you can find us on Twitter LWLies or just the Facebook page let's move on to our first film then and find out if it is Adam's favourite film so far as we listen to a little excerpt from Baby Driver so what is it you do? I'm a driver oh like a like a chauffeur you drive around important people. I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> so when was the last time you hit the road just for fun? Yesterday. Oh, I'm jealous. Sometimes all I want to do is head west on 20 in a car I can't afford with a plan I don't have. Just me, my music, and the road. I'd like that, too. Ansel Elgort there and Lily James from the eagerly anticipated and widely appreciated Baby Driver. David, what's this film about and is it as good as everyone says? Well, can I do that thing where I don't answer your question directly and tell you another little thing that's maybe Mm -hmm. um, linked in in some way? Far away. So Edgar Wright, who has made uh, music videos, sitcoms, he was the the guy behind the still amazing space, moved into feature films, Shaun of the Dead... Hot Fuzz, etc., etc. He made a music video for this band called Mint Royale in the late 90s. James nodding your head there in appreciation. Well, uh, in recognition, I would. In, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> and um, in this music video, it had some comedy actors, the guys from the Boosh who were in it, I think maybe pre-Boosh, and it's them sitting in, an old, in a car, and three of them get out to go and do a robbery, and... Noel Fielding is sat in the front of the car and he puts the the Mint Royale record on and he's sort of dancing in this car as the others are inside doing a bank robbery. And this video is essentially the germ of the idea that was to eventually, almost 20 years later, become Baby Driver, which is the kind of fleshed out version with Ansel Elgort as a kind of teenager. He has tinnitus from a car crash, I Mm. think it was, and... uh, he listens to music through an iPod, 
very specifically iPod and very specifically like old iPods and is an ace getaway driver because he drives to the beat of the music mm. and the film is essentially a, a heist movie in the kind of classic American tradition of films like The Driver and Thief but with a kind of modern twist lots of cinephile references lots of you know mixing or like musical genre like classic action movies noir it's kind of like popcorn, bubblegum, candy floss, all mixed up together on the, at the same time. And the music is such a feature, such a big part of this film, that a lot of reviews have actually called it a musical, reviewed it as such. We'll come back to what you actually thought then about how successful it is, perhaps a little bit later. But Adam, did I detect that this is your favourite film that we've covered so far? I think certainly it's the film I was most entertained by during watching it is like the ultimate popcorn movie, I think, this. And you mentioned the soundtrack. I think that's got a big role to play in it, and it's probably MVP for me in terms of, you know, really ratcheting up the film's enjoyment. In amongst all the other pleasures, David, of this film, is the casting, which, apart from Brand Ansel Elgort, uh, also features Kevin Spacey, who's always worth watching, no? John Bernthal, playing, you know, the usual John Bernthal, muscly hitman guy. And John Hamm and Jamie Foxx, and all sorts of musicians as well. Mm. Most of the cast playing sort of psychopath characters mm. as well. Some people feel that John Hamm's never successfully made the transition to the big screen. How did you think he did in this? I think he's very good in it. Uh, Jamie Foxx, I think, probably has the showier performance mm. initially. Uh, and John Hamm, I think, steals the show a little bit at the end. Him and Ansel really sort of riff off each other nicely. I think he's pretty good in this. I'm not sure it's going to be like the one that ends up on like the top of his CV or anything or like you know when he has his kind of Oscar memorial montage but I think he's still yet to get the part mm. you know that the John Hamm part that he's en- en- remembered for like George Clooney had that exactly. kind of twilight that little limbo until he did out of sight mm. nobody really you know he was the guy from ER you mm. know and then Michael Clayton later and then I think people started taking him seriously mm. the Coen brothers started working with him so Maybe the Coen brothers need to start working with John Hamm. The only thing I would say is it is flawed. I think, you know, the performances uh, are really strong throughout. But Edgar Wright, as much as I think he has a real grasp on uh, this visual comedy, the tone of the film, the action is great as well. I I think he he is a bit of a romantic at heart. And I think ultimately that lets the film down slightly. Interesting. I thought it was a remarkable confection, this. Mm. And a bit like one of those, I can't remember what the name of the one in Willy Wonka's factory is, that you put it in and it takes you one place, but then an hour later you're in a completely different place. And when it began, there is this dancing sequence which echoes that Mint Royale with Brand Elgort Mm -hmm. as the cavorting teen doing his choreographed coffee run straight after. And I thought, I'm not sure if I'm going to be quite on board with this. But the movie, I have to say, really swept me away. And the only people I can imagine not liking this film are uh, anyone has got anything to do with The Fast and Furious because this movie really just underlines what a bloated and, and really rather dull franchise that's become. It's so thrilling that the driving sequences in this, without the use of submarines or any of that other jiggery-pokery that Fast and Furious has had to re- rely on. And the other one would be Ben Wheatley because there's a sequence in this film where he effectively does everything that Wheatley was trying to do with Free Fire in the space of 90 seconds but infinitely better. I thought it was a, a masterly performance. I thought the soundtrack was great. Sorry, this is all me talking now, but just to say, what I especially loved about this film was the script. I thought it was great. Anyway, back to you guys. Sorry. I oh, know you should carry on. That's, no, that's no. all I got to say. I think I think you, you you rushed it at the end there. I want to hear what it is. What about I like about the script. Yeah, well, yeah. I assumed 
from the whole Cornetto trilogy thing and from the fact that Edgar Wright had been you know, writing and directing. He'd been given this baby to play with. It was going to be his ultimate kind of popcorn pop culture reference. I think that it would just be a smorgasbord of clever lines and knowing winks. Mm. But in actual fact, there's very little I found. Or it certainly didn't seem obtrusive, the amount of references that are in there. I thought the key thing about this was that wouldn't have succeeded without a gripping story and really genuine-seeming characters. And I felt it really had that. Yeah, there's a couple of moments, maybe slightly too choreographed, the almost Umbrellas of Sherbel laundromat scene. And maybe the end is a scene too far, I don't know. It gets to a point where it feels like it's going to go kind of full Thelma and Louise mm. and just carries on, I think, a little bit too long. Right. Um, but we, 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 which yeah. we won't obviously spoil mm. here. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it is a real adrenaline rush of a movie. And Edgar Wright shows his hand pretty early. I think the opening car chase is probably the best one, uh, or the car getaway scene is the best one. I'm actually interested to know whether he um, is, is a kind of experienced driver himself, Edgar Wright, because famously Nicholas Winding Refn doesn't drive and made the film drive, which I think has got some amazing modern car chase sequences mm. in. Nicholas Winding Refn was sued by someone because Drive didn't have enough driving oh, sequence in it. Is so, that right? Yes. I think unsuccessfully sued. Unsuccessfully. On the basis add. that it didn't live up to what it said on the yeah, tin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a kind of, um, you know, like a fraud thing. Right. Like this didn't deliver on what it, it had promised. But whether or not Edgar Wright drives, he certainly has a real knowledge of, I mean, the, the early films you mentioned there, 70s kind of car movies, like The Driver and Thief and Jewel and all these great Vanishing films. Point, Tulane Blacktop. This film, I think, really wears its influences on its sleeve. And mm. I've read a lot of reviews that are describing it as a highly original film. And I, I think, you know, there's some original elements in it in terms of what he's doing with the music, certainly. But, uh, yeah, the car chase sequences, I think, are definitely, they owe a lot to those early films. I saw a funny tweet written about this, which uh, I want to—I don't want to steal. I, it was uh, Clarice Loffray, uh, who, who is someone who has uh, contributed to Little White Lies before, but she she tweeted about the film. It's like Ryan Gosling in La La Land and Drive. That's who Ansel Angort's character is. Very nice. It's quite a nice little... He is a very cool character. Yeah. I, ju- I just wish Lily James was given a l- little bit more to do in this. I don't want to be that guy, but I feel like she's introduced as such a charming, interesting character. Mm. And I don't know, she she doesn't ultimately have a lot to do. And she becomes a bit of a damsel in distress, I think, in this movie. I genuinely feel that um, Edgar Wright hasn't yet written a satisfying female character in one of his films. They all are kind of second banana, love interest, someone to be saved. You know, they're kind of interesting and superficial and i think i think lily james's character is maybe the closest he's got but she in feels the like end, she makes a lot out of it you know yeah i think i i think that in the end i didn't feel it was really giving us anything that meaty but um yeah i mean i i, I guess i agree with what all you guys are saying about this film and i think maybe the issues you had have with it specifically this idea that and again it's i think it's something that's in every Edgar Wright film is that I think he does kind of reach for the stars with everything and maybe it being a bit more compact, maybe it having a few less scenes at the end, it ending a bit earlier. I mean, if you, all these films he's referencing are like, you know, they're like 80 minute, 90 minute films and, they right. are, and they're known for being like, you taut. know, taut, compact, mm. like cars. They're just, they're there to do a job. Mm. And this is just, it's put, he, I think he just pushes it and pushes it and pushes it. And, that, and that's his kind of thing. And, mm. you know, and, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever get an Edgar Wright film you could call slight. But with this one, I did feel it was like 
ending upon ending upon ending. Really? Okay. Um, but, you know, whilst it is your job to criticise, on the whole, this is a pretty terrific film, wouldn't you say? I mean, <laughs> I wasn't that sold on well, it, to not. be honest. Okay. I, I well, know, give it a number. I want to try and explain myself yes. rather than just allot it with a <laughs> yeah. with a numerical <laughs> level. Um, but I felt that this film wasn't about anything. And I really need a film to be about something. Okay. I, I need it to sort of tell me something or, you know, explore an idea. Right. Or, you know, not give a lesson per se, but... I'm really actually, looking forward to our chat about Le Samurai later. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be interesting because mm. I do think there is a difference between Le Samurai and uh, Baby Driver, which we could maybe get into later. But I felt that this was quite, quite a superficial film. Right. And at the same time, I don't necessarily think that people enjoying it for that reason is necessarily a bad thing because I think you need those kind of films that are kind of all surface, no feeling. And that, that's kind of what I felt it, it was like a bit. Um, all right. All his other films, they're about something. I mean, Scott Pilgrim is like a brilliant film about like teenage anxiety and the idea of courtship and being with a girl who is around other guys and has relationships with other guys and having to deal with that inside your own head. Whereas I think this... What's the reason for this film? Adam, what did you think? I, I take your point there, but I just think, yeah, there's not enough films that are superficial in the right way. Mm. As a pure cinematic experience on the big screen, this is amazing. Mm. If we're going to go scores, shall I jump in and just give it? Yeah. I think fours across the board for me, for this. Massive expectations, especially off the back of he is a great director and someone I always look out for. So, All right, Dave? I'd probably say four three three. Really? I mean, okay, well, that's not too. Yeah, bad. no. I mean, it's kind of hugely ambitious, and it's like there's there's a lot of big, glossy mainstream movies that I'm maybe not that keen on, mm. and I think the world would be a much better place if people like Edgar Wright had the keys to that kingdom and that they were making these kind of things. But I have got like fingers, toes, and everything else crossed for this to like make ton of money well the, the good news is that reviews all over the place are giving it five stars just that he's knocked it out of the park with this myself having seen the scores not the read the reviews but just seen the scores I, I went in fearing that i was going to get a little bit left behind by this juggernaut and as i say in the opening scenes a little bit of trepidation but i absolutely loved it and i would say as a result it's got three for anticipation four four and a half while i was watching it five on reflection and I'm worried now, having said five, because where does that leave us to go for, say, the next... Baby Driver 2. Baby Driver 2. Well, uh, should I say four and a half? Is that wrong to do a five? Well, no, because, I mean, if you think about it, if you convert it to percentages, oh, yeah. five would be anything over 80%. Ah. So, you know, this maybe could be like 81 for right. you, okay. and then you see another film which is 87. Yeah. Well, speaking of ham on film... Huh? Uh, <laughs> up next, it's another of this week's releases in a kind of sense, although it wouldn't be hitting any big screens near you, Okja. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste good. The very great Tilda Swinton there, in a little excerpt from Bong Joon-ho's new film, a mega-budget film, another hit from the bong, as Little White Lies put it. <laughs> Whose work was that, David? 
I think oh, that was Adam's. Uh, was it? I think it was an, another quality bong here. Was yeah. ah, still great. This is all about Mia, is it? Mia? Is yeah. it pronounced Mia? The young girl who risks everything, I'm reading the synopsis here, to prevent a powerful multinational company, helmed by Tilda Swinton, from kidnapping her best friend, who just happens to be a massive porcine beast called Okja. It was premiered controversially at Cannes this year and led to a rule change at the film festival because the, the controversial thing about this was because it was Netflix who gave uh, Bong Joon-ho the $55 million or $50 million to, mm. to, dollars to make this. It was being entered at Cannes without being a, necessarily a, a cinema experience. All right, well, so you're a fan. Tell us why. I'm a big fan of Bong Joon-ho. I mean, he's been a bit unlucky as a director and certainly his kind of foray into making English language films has not gone massively well, and he, it's quite an eccentric career path. Am I allowed to tell a little story about his previous film, Snowpiercer? By all means. Well, previ- his previous film, Snowpiercer, also starred Tilda Swinton. It's a brilliant film, but not available in the UK in any way. It's never screened here. Why? Uh, because... Uh, of disputes between Bong and the producer Harvey Weinstein involving the cut of the film. So to be able to see this film, which I was very excited about and very disappointed reading all this kind of saga when it was coming out, I drove to Lille in France on a Saturday uh, and just drove there Watched this film and drove back. And so now, with, with two other film critics as well. Did you love it? Is it worth a trip to Lille? Oh, it was well worth a trip to Lille. It was an incredible film, and it's it's a real. I think it's one of the great tragedies that that film kind of is almost lost to UK audiences. Right. I mean, I think it had a screening at the Edinburgh Film Festival, but beyond that, I've bought a French Blu-ray, so that's how I. Of course, you have. I, I, I am able to rewatch it to my right. heart's content. Okay, but the French know what's up. Can I join the queue to borrow that because I'm massively intrigued by oh, yes. Snowpiercer, Octa then, which is the film we're actually reviewing, Adam. What did you think about that? I've got to say, I was a little bit cold on this one. Ooh. Bong Joon Ho, you, you sort of mentioned some of his early stuff, and we did the host on Film Club, uh, I think in episode four, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that. But he's a fantastic director, and probably like South Korea's heir to someone like Steven Spielberg. And the whole first maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the film really goes and explores the relationship between Okja and Mia, who's played by Ahn Soo Hun, uh, who I think is just absolutely sensational in this film. It's an amazing performance from a child actor and I absolutely love that part of the film when you're just basically in this forest in Korea uh, where the super pig is being raised on a, on a sort of rural farm and you basically spend that entire portion of the film frolicking around with Mia and Okja and it's just really beautiful I think even though it's a, a sort of CGI fictional animal it's just very authentic very tender and the film sort of switches gears after that and I think the, the John Ronson part of the film really kicks in so he's the, the screenwriter on this film and he did um, the Men Who Stare at Goats and Frank as well and I like his writing generally but the, the kind of corporate satire element of the film didn't quite work as well for me and this is maybe slightly blasphemous to say on a, on a Little While Lads podcast but I actually think it's probably my least favourite Tilda Swinton performance ever I just found her overly cartoonish and in fact the same for Jake Gyllenhaal who's in this as a kind of TV animal uh, guru keen to get your guys thoughts on that as well because I'm not sure if I'm like totally out on a limb and on that one yeah I mean Jake Gyllenhaal's performance I'm, I'm not sure I would say it's an enjoyable performance but I kind of think it's not meant to be it's like I think it's supposed to be like supremely irritating and I think Bong is a director who all his films are laced with this very kind of dark satirical humour 
And I think this insanely over-the-top performance by him is Marmite-ish, I think. I think pretty much everybody's identified it as the weakest point of the film. I, I get that it's I like not supposed to be an enjoyable performance, but for me anyway, it like, torpedoed my enjoyment of, of the film because... Um, it just dials up the whole like satirical, almost like surrealistic element right. of the film. I completely agree that the early parts in Korea is where this film feels its most comfortable yeah. and its most convincing and its, its, its most emotive. And it's when they move away from that, when the action shifts to America, it does feel like that that's where the script writing duties passed on to John Ronson. And it does feel exactly more cartoonish. It loses its... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Lyricism. Yeah, it certainly does. It's coherence as well, I think. I think one of the things I really liked about the film is that kind of push and pull between, you know, the lyricism of Mia and Okja's relationship and the, the sort of rural idyll that they have in Korea. And then you have this a really garish depiction of the West, of corporate business, of capitalism, essentially. Mm. Um, and it's dialed up so high that it's played out in this really, really grotesque comic tenor as exemplified by the performances given by Tilda Swinton and Jake Gyllenhaal. They're kind of almost sort of Punch and Judy circus figures in, in the film. But, like, I actually really liked that kind of two sides of the film. Like, it's sort of, you know, it's it almost is very open about what side it's on and what side you should be on. And maybe that's not the best thing to be. Maybe that's maybe a, a more of an ambiguity. But then... In the end, it does actually. There are a few things it does that almost sort of pulls itself around by mm. saying, you know, because it is a sort of essentially a sentimental, like ET style film about, you know, there is this creature and you and Bong makes you love the creature and you don't want to see the creature die, mm. and that is maybe the psychology behind being a vegetarian. Right. But then, can you be a vegetarian in a capitalist system? I mean, does that make sense? Are you essentially becoming an activist who is? forming your own sort of small enclave and going against humanity by choosing to do that. And I think that idea is really interesting and the way he's kind of visualised that is really interesting. It's certainly a fascinating plot and that massive uh, issue at the end about the, the mechanics of, of, of meat is a really strong part of the film, mm. um, which for me, yeah, I did feel it kind of lost its way a little bit when they went to the States, but the closing scenes without going into too much detail yeah. are really powerful. Oh, it's massively so. And, and I think thematically it's so potent, this film. And my frustrations more lie, I think, tonally with, with that second half of the film in terms of, you know, the fact that we're dealing with very real, very timely topical issues mm. and the way it's kind of pitched almost, for me, made it feel like they were kind of trivialising that slightly. Right. I think one of the other things I really like about this film, and this might be a weird reason to like a movie, is that I think that beyond it being about vegetarianism, animals, our relationship with animals within a, a capitalist system. I think this is actually a film about Bong's own experience making Snowpiercer. This film that he has cultivated in, he made it in Europe with Korean backing and then he took it to America and he got shafted in America and he had to kind of accept that if you're in the system, that's what happened. His creature went into the kind of sausage factory, essentially. In, indeed. And, uh, that's a fascinating take. Yeah. All right. I mean, there's plenty to enjoy in this film. There's all sorts of kind of notes. Studio Ghibli gets referenced a lot. I thought there was elements of uh, Terry Gilliam, almost uh, Hudsucker Proxy and the corporation dealing with the, the old Coen brothers back in the day. What numbers would you throw at this, Adam? I'd go four, three, three. All right. Well, what about you, David? I would go for all all fours. Maybe a five at the end because I really like. I I've only seen it once and I really want to see it again. Right. And I'm gonna plan a date with it this weekend on <laughs> okay, Netflix. All right. All right. Three and 
three and maybe four in retrospect, actually. And one thing actually about this film, the fact that it's available on Netflix means that it's not such an effort to see. I mean, I would certainly advise people to to watch it. Oh, yeah, I definitely recommend it to, to watch. It's an interesting film, and like you said, there's a lot to like about it. All right, well, on that note, uh, we'll move on because we've only got Le Samurai up next. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yes, it's Little White Lies Film Club, where every week we watch a classic film, a film you may have missed, or a film worth reappraising. Or one, as in this case, with special relevance to one of the week's new releases, Le Samurai, which has been cited by Edgar Wright as one of his inspirations, or his influences, for Baby Driver. If you haven't seen it, it's about uh, Alan Delon. It's his signature role, Alan Delon's signature role. He's basically dressed up like a kind of proto-inspector gadget, but with less fun gadgets. Sort of Humphrey Bogart meets yeah. Inspector Gadget. And he wanders around Paris saying very little, shooting a couple of people and doing one chase. Doesn't, he doesn't do much driving. Does a little bit. No, indeed. Nor is he much for samurai. So I don't know legally where they stand on this film. What did listeners make of it, folks? Well, we've got some tweets here. At Film Storyboard says, fantastic movie, sets, lighting, composition, story, acting, music, all great. Daniel Marley, cold hard precision storytelling from Melville, match with Delon, is one of his most iconically cool roles, great stuff. Uh, Zachary Curl, I can already tell you it's amazing and maybe the pinnacle of one of my all-time favourite directors. Wow. I mean, there's a lot High of... Hopes. Empire Magazine, which I don't know if you've heard of, but anyway, they, they did a, a top 100 best films of world cinema and they put it in at number 39. So there's a lot of love for this film. Is it love that you share, either of you? I hadn't actually seen this film before, and I'm not particularly au fait with Mr Melville's canon. But I, I do like Alan Delon a lot, and I think, as you say, this is probably his most singular performance, maybe his most iconic. I can see where Edgar Wright took inspiration from maybe that character and Ansel Elgort's character. Really? Yeah, I think so, just in terms of his uh, sort of stoicism and the way... Um, the way he kind of operates, I think. He's just a very cool customer. Right. Doesn't kind of say a lot. I mean, the opening scene of this film, 
which is maybe 10 minutes or so. There's no dialogue. Um, he doesn't, he's sort of just going about his daily business on the way to, to kind of carry out a hit, which is then, you know, the film unpacks itself around, around that and right. the, the aftermath of that. David, you own a Melville box set. Did you know that he's a How form- do you know that? Because you mentioned it previously. Oh, right. Oops. And uh, you probably know all about his backstory, that he was a former resistance hero. Yeah, yeah. And that his name's not Melville at all. You know what? I didn't know that. All right. I, he I, I he did, named I, himself. His real name, I haven't got here, have I? Anyway, he renamed himself after Melville, Herman Melville, who ah. wrote Moby Dick. Oh. Didn't know Let that, me but it makes with sense. another fact. Good. Among the people who've been inspired by this movie is Madonna. Her 2012 song, Beautiful Killer, with its lines, You are a beautiful killer. I like your silhouette when you stand on the streets, is all about Alan Delon, oh, who wow. she's got the hots for in a major way. Wow, uh, specifically in this Le Samurai or just a general... I think, you know, Beautiful Killer, it's the Samurai, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It could be Purple Noon. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, which is like the town to Mr Ripley. Is it? And he plays a beautiful killer. But does he? Yeah, I he mean, he's, yeah, he's a lovely looking chap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the film? I think that Melville's thing, and the, maybe the reason why the connection with, with Baby Driver is that Melville was this guy who... who I mean, all his films are about process. You know, all he does is just follow simple process. Like, you know, a guy's going to do a thing and we're just going to watch all the moves he makes to, to make that thing happen. Hmm. And, you know, it's it, they're very kind of procedural. And like in The Samurai, you have this 10-minute sequence and it's just like, yeah, he's going to get up, he's going to put his coat on, he's going to do some things in his flat, he's going to walk out, he's going to steal a car and you're going to see how he steals the car and you're going to see how he you're going to see his big bunch of keys and then you're going to see him drive off into the countryside to get the number plates changed and it's just process without any explanation and you you just take it on and you like observational almost mm. and um this is probably his most observational film. I mean, my favourite Melville film is, is Le Cercle Rouge, which also has Alan Delon in it, and it's like a bank rob jewel heist movie. Okay. It's like a three-hour film, but you see this planning and the execution of this jewel heist in the most meticulous detail. And he's almost he's taking that idea of process to its kind of end point. Right. David Fincher uh, is probably like the closest to like the modern Melville. In, right. Because he also is someone who is just obsessed with just... Filming is about watching a process happen. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess looping back to what you were saying before about the comparison between Melville and, uh, sorry, Le Samurai and uh, Baby Driver hmm. and then maybe not being about anything, I guess, yeah, I, I mean, I maybe struggle also a bit uh, uh, with trying to determine what Le Samurai is about. I mean, it does have a kind of broad existential, you're damned if you do kind of vibe to it. I sometimes struggle a bit with what's beneath the surface of this one. Okay. I'm hoping that you as a Melville expert can clear up my confusion about this film, which I was not blown away by in any way, shape or manner. And everyone loves it and our our listeners loved it. I thought it was really dated and I couldn't believe actually it's from the same year as The Graduate. It seemed like different centuries almost in terms of storytelling. I know there are very different stars involved, but basically my issues with the film, or my issue with the film, is that it sets up through this 10-minute opening sequence the fact that he is methodical, he is the samurai, this is, he exists for a purpose, he is purpose, that he's pared down to that and that alone. One of the rare lines of dialogue which he concedes himself before the shooting is the fact that he never loses, really I never lose. Mm. So... He goes and does this job and gets seen by a bunch of people wearing this distinctive Mac and hat, which is so distinctive that the police, when they do their kind of half-assed 
like let's round up the usual suspects. The only identifying marks that they give are the hat and the Mac. Round up anyone who's got this hat and the Mac. So our cold-blooded professional killer basically goes to his poker night, having set up the alibi, hanging around by the door to make sure everything's fine. And when they come round, I think, well, no problem. Our boy will have ditched his hat and coat. Duh, obviously. But no, he hasn't. So they pull him in. So next half hour is this kind of line-up business that they go through in a very French fashion. And I'm thinking, but well, you shouldn't even be here. If you were any good at your job, you would have ditched your, your outfit, which a million people in the club saw you in. So for me, that lost me there. I agree with that section. It's kind of such a bungle. That yeah, <laughs> it really is. So this leads me on to the second question, right? Is he, and it ties in with the closing of the film, in which he pretends he's about to shoot the pianist, but his gun isn't loaded. So it's almost like he's committing suicide no is the entire film about his attempt to commit suicide or get caught somebody stop me or i will kill again is that a little bit far-fetched otherwise i can't make this film work at all i don't know whether he's actually supposed to be good at his job i mean what, what is there to indicate certainly initially i mean he does successfully carry out the initial hit well he shoots a guy yeah yeah but as you say he doesn't particularly do it covertly so is it actually a film about a really bad well, I think possibly. I mean, we don't really know much about the people who have who have employed him for this task. Right. And See, I, superficially, I assumed that he was a really good hitman, otherwise we wouldn't be watching the film. Well, but I, think no, that's that's a... I think it's this film about a guy who, he seems, I think he's quite young in this film. I mean, he doesn't seem like a kind of particularly seasoned assassin, but he puts on this Mac and hat as his kind of uh, uniform almost mm. and goes out and, you know, carries out this task. But it's not necessarily what he wants to do. I mean, he doesn't seem particularly interested in accepting the money that he's being paid for it. He doesn't really show much interest in other people or characters in the film. I mean, it's a very strange lone wolf kind of existence. Mm. And yeah, maybe he does ultimately lead himself towards his his own suicide. Right. Well, it does seem a bit an active choice at the end, the final scene in in the nightclub. I think it's interesting that, I mean, what you say there, because I do kind of think it is about this, uh, this idea of you can have these cold, hard, methodical people who have got these rigid systems that they work by and these, and they've sort of developed this kind of code of ethics or these rules for carrying out these jobs. And, I mean, it is just this kind of very simple, almost quaint irony, the fact that this rigid system doesn't fit with the kind of messiness of real life, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think my experience with this is that I saw it quite a long time ago and didn't feel it was one of my favourites and then rewatched it and still didn't feel oh, that really? it was okay. like yeah. one of my favourites. I mean, compared to Le Cercle Rouge, which is easily my favourite of his films, and also um, Army of Shadows, which is the one about his um, in Time of the Resistance, mm. which is extraordinary. Mm. These are more kind of his epic films, I think. It's all about Alan Delon, though, isn't it, really, this film? I mean, he is so cool. Is there a cooler movie character called Jeff as well? <laughs> Jeff with one F. Jeff with one F. Jeff yeah. Costello is a very, very good well, It is name. a good name. It might be worth mentioning also that our friends in Toronto mm. are being given a full Melville retrospective right now, so they can go out and watch this. And also in London, mm. there's going to be an, an, a full retrospective at the BFI as well. Really? So there's going to be plenty of chances to delve deep into the world of Melville. Okay, well, no doubt we'll revisit his canon yeah. uh, in future film clubs but next week Chris B asking uh, whether we could do Tree of Life he'd love to hear our thoughts on that and Adam is that that's what you're doing next week is it? Th- yeah we are to celebrate the release of Song to Song which right. is Terence Malick's new one Okay, generally regarded to be one of his sort of many masterpieces so you'll have that you'll also be talking about Song to Song and what else is coming out next week we've got Spider-Man Homecoming <laughs> wow 
the new, 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 new. And the advance were very positive about that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm quite excited, actually. By the way, Harry Lynch, who says, is there a list of film club movie picks? Caught the last two, and they were excellent choices. There will be shortly, I think, because on the Little White Lies homepage, there's going to be a special section for the Truth and Movies podcast, and we'll put the list up there. But 2046 or 2046 was our first one, and that was very much thumbs up. What other ones would you particularly suggest that if Harry missed? Animal Kingdom's a fascinating film. Yeah, uh, I think The Host as well, which yep. if, if you're interested in Bong Joon-ho's uh, back catalogue. I think the last three, with actually. And I. Yeah, Ghost okay. World with Nell and I and The Graduate, I think are really, really Oh, Ghost strong. World would be Ghost my uh, yeah. top pick. All right, then. Okay, well, so that's all coming up next week. Could I give a, two little shout-outs just before, before we go? Mm. I would love to give a, a very brief shout-out to a, a smaller film coming out this week called Kedi, which is a Turkish documentary about stray cats in Istanbul. And it sounds like it's like the movie equivalent of like clickbait or something, <laughs> but it's really not. It's very enjoyable, and it's this very kind of interesting film about how we anthropomorphize cats mm. and how their presence actually can make us into nicer, more reflective people. Really? And it's a really nice little film. And the reason I mention it is because it came out in New York a couple of months back and on one screen, and it ended up making $2 million. Wow. So it became this... Uh, Keddy. Keddy, K-E-D-I. I also would love to give another shout-out to one of our regular listeners, if that's okay. New Jersey's own The Futurist, who every week kindly tweets myself and Adam gives us an advance warning when he's going to listen to the podcast hmm. and then he'll give us some nice instructive uh, criticism when he's listened to it. If he knew what he was doing, he'd give you like a before, during and after score on the Exactly. On the Maybe if you're listening the Futurist, you could do that. Give us a, a before, during and after and scores. Right. I bet he doesn't listen this week. Yeah, this will be his week off. <sighs> anyway, there you go. All right, well, that was lovely. Anyone you want to give a little wave to? Adam? No, it's just fine if you don't. No kind of shout outs. But I was just going to mention uh, By the By with Herman Melville. A friend of mine is, I think, his great 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 granddaughter. Is it Moby? Are you friends with Moby? No, no. A lady friend of mine is okay. uh, related to Herman Melville. Right. Yeah. As is Moby. That's, you know. Is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's is that why, why he calls himself Moby? Moby. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. Well, that's what he's always claimed in interviews. That can't be. But then I once claimed in an interview that I was Gary Richardson's brother, and I'm not. That also means my friend is related to Moby. Uh, Yes. Which is the more impressive. I need to do some further exploring into that. Yeah. All right. Well, more when we know more, listeners. Uh, For now, though, that's it. Many thanks to Adam and Dave, and you for listening. Uh, We'll be back soon. In the meantime, this has been a Seven Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 